Good morning. Uh, great to be here with you. This is an important weekend at Grace Chapel with the men's retreat, and I would be remiss if I didn't thank all of you for once again scholarshipping 10 men from the mission to go. I was telling Barbara before the service, I, I don't think it's possible to put a value on what that has meant to us over the years. So it's your generosity that makes it possible. So truly thank you all for caring about the, the guys down on Hamilton Street and letting them be a part of this transforming weekend. But let's begin with our scripture reading, and I'm going to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. Lord, I pray that in reading it and studying it, it wouldn't simply touch our lives, but transform them. Lord, be a, a tidal wave into our lives, that we would be conformed into your image. Let us be people willing to pay any price so that might happen. And Lord, we pray because you said we could, that you might even be glorified by our lives. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philip Yancey, who's a prolific Christian writer, tells a story about Polesmore Prison in South Africa. Now this is, Polesmore is the most notorious prison in South Africa. Um, Nelson Mandela was there for eight years. I, I googled it to just look at it, and I was horrified even by pictures. Uh, bunks are stacked three or four high. I mean, just picture tons of humanity put in these small spaces. So you can imagine what that is like in prison life. Um, a lot of violence, just a horrible reputation. Now the story Yancey was telling involved a woman, middle-aged woman named Joanna, who went into the prison with her husband. She felt called to go there. They were studying Jesus' line, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And she said, Lord, that can't be your will. To cram a bunch of angry people into a small space and let them destroy each other cannot be your will. I'll go in there. So she went, and she went 365 days in a row into that prison. And they just did basic stuff, Bible studies, prayer meetings. Nancy said they would play these trust games with each other. And in one year, the prison went from 279 acts of violence to two. The year after eight. So the BBC did a documentary. So Yancey goes down there and he interviews this woman, right? This Joanna. And he asked the question any good journalist would write, would ask, how? I saw what you did. It was pretty normal stuff. How could there be such a transformational change in this prison? And her response is unforgettable. She said, well, of course, Philip. Jesus was always present in the prison. It was my job to make him visible. And when I heard that, I said, that's it. 
That's the essence of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to make him visible. And I, and I was so struck by that simple thing, I just made him visible. I said, okay, City Mission, the theme for 2017 is making Jesus visible. That's what we're going to be about this year. And I will tell you, it's had an energizing effect on me as I've had an enhanced intentionality to say, what does that really mean in this moment? How can I make Jesus visible? It's little things like there's a man that comes to our nightly meal and he's deaf. And unfortunately, I don't speak any sign language, so I, I try to connect with him. And so for, for years, I've shaken his hand and just, I would shake his hand and he, we'd put two hands on each other. And each time he saw me, he would put his hands out for the handshake. And I said, okay, 2017, making Jesus visible. I'm just going to start hugging him. I'm just going to hug him because that's more visible. And now when he sees me, he goes like this. Right? And making Jesus more visible. I, I've learned it's, it's in a smile. I, I like to stand out in front sometimes of our evening meal and some troubled people come down the street and they're angry, wounded people, hurting people. And I said, well, what if Jesus was standing here, I think he'd smile when he saw them. He might smile at the condition of their lives or necessarily what they're doing, but he loves them. He would smile. So I need to smile out here, not look all stern faced as if I'm going into battle. And it's made a big difference. So today I want to talk about making Jesus visible. Um, and we're doing in the church now a chronological series on the Gospel of John. So Glenn spoke last week about John chapter 1. So I'm, I'm kind of skipping, but I'm not really skipping. I'm talking from 12 because I think the concept of making Jesus visible is a theme that runs through all 21 chapters of the Gospel of John, right? How does it begin? The Word was made flesh. That, that's making Jesus visible. The, the eternal word is made flesh and dwells amongst us. That's chapter 1, John chapter 21. We have this amazing scene where after the resurrection, the disciples go out fishing, right? And Jesus comes to the shore. And, and there, I think the water, I don't know if it was what lake they were on, but I know it was this, the waters of doubt that they were floating on. And they see Jesus and John says, it is the Lord, right? Jesus made himself visible, to comfort and, and to call them. So I think that making Jesus visible is a foundation that John based his whole gospel on. So how do we do it? How do we make Jesus visible? Well, let's look at Jesus' response to the request of the Greeks. Because what was their request? Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus responds... The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a stunning response. It is utterly counterintuitive. I mean, these were Greeks. What would impress the Greeks? Well, from right off the bat, a miracle would do something. 
right? And Jesus has unlimited capacity in that moment to do a miracle. But what else do we know about the Greeks? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the Greeks look for wisdom. Do you think Jesus could have impressed them with some wisdom? He could have called them in in that moment, unlocked for them the secrets of the cosmos or the atom. He could have met them on the ground of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and transcended their brilliance a thousand times over. He could have spoken to them with an eloquence that would have melted their hearts with his perfect oratory. Instead, he responds, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians when he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. I think that the church today, and I put myself in the midst of this. One of the reasons why we have so little cultural influence is too often we try to make Jesus visible in ways that we think will appeal to and impress the culture. Okay? We have not embraced Jesus' pathway to making him visible for obvious reasons. Who wants to fall to the ground and die? So we turn instead to good things, please hear me, good things like preaching and music and programs, all good. So we think, though, that if we do this as well as the world does it, that that will attract people to the gospel. And it's good to do it and to do it with talent. Don't you love? Boy, after hearing Abby sing, I leaned over to Greg and said, wow, that's great, okay? It's, it's, it's a true worship of the Lord. But it's not what wins the Lord. It's not the best way, the ultimate way of making Jesus visible. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I've really been wrestling with the words fall to the ground. And what I believe that means is humbling ourselves before others. That before you die, you, you choose to humble yourself, right? And, and I'll be honest with you, preaching, as important it is, there's ego in there. And, and there can be ego in the best worship. We, we kind of bring a little bit of our humanity into that, and it gets, a, it gets clouded, but, but genuine falling to the ground, humble service, in which I choose and embrace being the least because Jesus said, that's how people will see me in you. I've learned an incredible lesson in my years at City Mission that any door will open to us, nearly any door will open to us if we do two things. Number one, truly understand the need of the other. And secondly, be willing to take the lowest place to meet that need. Now, neither one of those are strengths of evangelicals. One, we're not great at understanding because we're so excited to share the good news, which is good. We don't take time to hear what people think. 
Right? We're, we're running with the prescription before we've heard the ailment. And I don't think any of us would take a prescription a doctor gave us if he or she didn't examine us first. Or hear from us. So we're not great at taking the time to really listen, which is a humbling thing to do. To listen and understand another. And secondly, I don't think we want the top place, but we really don't want to take the lowest place. Can't we come in in the middle? Jesus' way, the more I dare to live it or see others live it, the more real and profound and fruitful it becomes. We had a City Mission Chapel service a week ago, and the men who live in our shelter ran the service. They did the preaching, the worship, uh, the testimony. They did it all. A few moments I kind of said, ooh. But, but Greg tells me, you gotta, people got to lead. So I said, all right, Greg, you said to do this. So we went forward. But it, it was beautiful. But there was a moment there. A lot of you know Anthony. You know, people, everybody knows Anthony. So he's sitting there, and one guy said, well, before I do my part, I just want to thank Anthony. My big Anthony. Big Anthony with his very hard past. Because he was the first guy to reach out for me and tell me I could make it. That was a nice moment. The next guy got up and said, well, since Rodney mentioned it, I should mention it too, and I need to thank Anthony. Because when I wanted to leave, he kept on walking me around the block. Told me, don't leave before you get your miracle. And one by one, each man said, I need to. Thank Anthony. And it was a moving moment. Chris Silipino and I were just staring at each other like, wow. What, what did people notice? Anthony's the truck driver. They weren't referring to eloquent messages. They weren't referring to stirring music. They weren't referring to well-thought-out programs, although all those things matter and are good. They're making mention of the fact that they had witnessed someone who was willing to fall to the ground and die for them. And in that, they saw Jesus. And it's not just the poor that are responding. I remember I had to go have a meeting. We, we partner with colleges at the mission. And so I'm going to meet with a PhD professor. This is a woman that comes from Europe. She's a high-level intellectual. So I said, I got to be smart today. <laughs> that's, a, that's a stretch for me. Okay, I really got to be on my game today. So I got all my papers ready. I worked on memorization. And I went up to meet her because I know she comes from a different worldview than I come from. And she said, I need to share something with you. It was a snowy, kind of rainy, cold day. She said, I saw on State Street that person struggling with the bike and how you helped them into the building. I saw you do that. I saw you stop what you were doing and help that person. Because of that, I'm interested in a partnership. Amen. And I think what she was saying is, you can't impress me with how smart you are. I'm way smarter than you. <laughs> but that, that's what we need around us. 
Now, I don't say that to boast because if anything I say it, ashamed of how often I don't do that. Okay. I've learned if I need to make a statement at the mission, I'm very serious about this, if I need to get a message across to the men and women and children who live there, I no longer ask for the pulpit. I wash dishes. But I will have more voice by standing in the dish room and serving with the least place they expect me to be than bringing a perfect message in the pulpit. Does the pulpit matter? Of course it does. Of course it does. It's sacred. But it's not, you, you can be in the pulpit and not be falling to the ground and dying. Okay. There's another reason why I believe Jesus lays this out, this path for making Jesus visible, and it's this. Everyone can do it. I mean, everyone can fall to the ground and die. See, if making Jesus visible was a matter of eloquence or intelligence or performance, it would always be a select group. There would always be people disqualified from making Jesus visible because they aren't smart enough, they can't sing well enough. They're not talented enough. But Jesus doesn't work like that. Making Jesus visible is not the privilege of a select few. It is the duty and the invitation of the many. We're all called to do that. It's really, it's an open stage for anybody who's willing to fall to the ground and die. It's exciting. Never forget, we, we serve a Savior that in the offering pointed to the two pennies. Said, That's it. That's the glorious gift. She didn't give from her surplus. She gave all she had to God. Folks, we shouldn't be surprised by that. The great and infinite God will use our talents, but he doesn't need them. The gift he wants from us is that we give him all that we have. And he's made visible in that. There is a statement that is utterly true, and that is that more people are converted by saints than by theologians. Because we can't all be theologians, but we can all be saints. That's between us and the Lord. There's a great story told by Mother Teresa they were ministering in the House of the Dying in Calcutta. And they brought a man in who, whose body was so racked, ravaged by worms, that when they lifted him out of the gutter, which had pools of water, and at half his back stayed in the water. And so when they brought him in, the, the smell was horrific. And it was hard to even be there with him. So Mother Teresa knew immediately that she had to be the one to wash him. So she had the other sister step aside and she went in and began to, to bathe him and soothe his head. And in his last words, he said to her, why? Why are you doing this? And she said to him, because you are Jesus to me. And his last words, he said to her, glory be to Jesus Christ. Witness of one falling to the ground and dying. So as a church, you, you are embarking on a new and exciting season. New leadership. 
And I don't know what God is calling you to as a church, but I know one thing. He's calling you to be transformative. He's calling you to transform not only your individual lives, but, but this community. As you receive that call, don't get caught up in how good the preaching is, although preaching is good. That won't do it. It won't even be the quality of the worship or the quality of the programs, although those things are good too. The greatest opportunity that each of you will have as individuals and that you all will have as a church is to make Jesus visible. And the way Jesus is made visible, according to the Master himself, is when a man or woman chooses to fall to the ground and die. And in doing so, by grace, they produce many seeds. And never forget his words. He speaks to us today as clearly as he spoke to Philip and Andrew some 2,000 years ago. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. Let's pray. Lord, I know in my own heart, and I, I think I speak for the whole group, I think we long to make you visible. That's why we're here. But Lord, I confess that I often reject your way for doing that. I want other ways to be the pathway to making you visible. And I do thank you that you give us talents and gifts, and it's beautiful when they are offered up for you, and you use it. But Lord, in serving you in those secondary ways, help me, Lord, to have the faith and the trust and the love and the humility to make you visible in the primary way you taught us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's my privilege this morning to serve alongside of my much beloved brother and very dear friend, Mike, and assist and serve just a little bit with him. You know, we live in New England. We live in cultural New England. We live in the state of New York. Often we think of New England as the six New England states, and we forget that if you were to extend a line just from the Berkshires up toward the foothills of the Anirodacks and go north about 30 miles west of the Vermont border, you are still in cultural New England. Now, New England has had two Great Awakenings. And the Great Awakenings exploded across these six states. And there was one phrase that began to be inhabited in the literal physical structure of the churches that either gave birth to that Great Awakening or a result of it. And I know this because there was a time in my life when I spoke in many of those pulpits all over New England. And I would go to the, the pulpit, and about half the time on that wood pulpit, either carved into it or a plaque upon it, it would say, Sir! we would see Jesus. Amen. Not marketing or self-help messages, uh, not clever insights on how to have a nicer day, but sir, we would see Jesus. So thank you, Mike, for bringing that memory back to me. One of the great joys of my life was Sue, when we were early in serving churches together, presented me with a sign on, was that Barnwood? Barnwood. 
and painted it. We always hung it right wherever I prepared messages. And it just said on it, Sir, we would see Jesus. And that's been the backbone of everything we've sought to be, and I believe the backbone of this church's life. And that is exactly what communion is. Communion is drawing us to see Jesus. Now, at Grace Chapel, we welcome you to come and participate in communion. It is not about membership. It's not even about whether you're here a lot or just once in a while or even visiting for the first time today. Communion is something that is part of the celebration of the family of God. It is an expression of personal faith in Christ. And it is a remembrance of what Jesus has done. It is a glorious and wondrous thing. It is serious. There is sadness to it and also celebration. Sadness in the death and the shed blood required. Celebration that we do this until he comes, which means risen and alive. And so we invite you to come. If you're a member, fine. If you're not a member, fine. If you're a visitor, fine. For you, this is your time to express that faith, that commitment, that love for Jesus. In a few moments, we'll invite you to come. The music team will come first. And then we'll invite you to come whenever you want to or row by row. And it sort of winds up being a combination of that. For Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, I've reversed that on you, I'm sorry. He broke it and said, I don't have the other hand to break it with today, but uh, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat of it, for this reminds us of Jesus' life. And on that same night, it is striking that Paul, I call it the Last Supper, Paul calls it the night he was betrayed. He took the cup, said, this wine is my blood shed for you and for all so that sins might be forgiven. Do this in memory of me. And so, Mike, would you lead us in prayer as we prepare? Well, we don't come to this table worthy, but made worthy by your great work. And so, Lord, we don't ready ourselves by thinking of the good things we've done, but rather by asking your forgiveness for how we have fallen short, but not in just sadness, but in joy because we are forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that you have paid the price that we might come to this table. In eating, Lord, help us to be men and women and children and drinking, Lord, who not only receive, but then pour out on behalf of others. Lord, you have forgiven us. Help us, Lord, even in receiving this communion be people who always forgive those around us. And may we bear witness and make you visible in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come when you are ready. Sir, we would see Jesus.